0: Very excited to be broadcasting today because it is the, the, I believe, the 80th anniversary of the publication of The Hobbit. Is that right, um, Corey Olson, the Tolkien professor, who is also joining me this morning?
1: <laughs> what a smooth uh, working in of the introduction there, Dave. Yeah, that was, that was great. That's right, though.
0: 80th anniversary, right?
1: It, it is. Actually, uh, t- technically, yesterday it was, it was published yesterday. Uh, uh, so, yesterday's, it's, it's, it's always been a little bit. Um, Uh, sort of sad that there's that one day offset between the publication date of The Hobbit and the uh, the 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 birthday of Bilbo and Frodo. Frodo It's like so so close, but not quite the same day. But anyway, yeah. So you know, generally it kind of gets rolled into one big old celebration. Uh, But anyway, so today is is Bilbo and Frodo's birthday, and yesterday was the 80th anniversary of the publication of The Hobbit, and last Friday, of course, was the 40th anniversary of the publication of, of The Silmarillion, so...
0: Why, didn't, why couldn't they? I mean, come on, get it together. Just publish everything on the 22nd.
1: Make <laughs> I, it easy for us. I know, right? I, I, I begged so hard. When my book came out, I begged so hard to have it come out on the 21st so it like would have been published on the 75th anniversary of The Hobbit. Um, but they published it on the 17th. I'm like, the 17th? Really? <laughs> come on. What are you doing? <laughs> <Get it together. laughs> to whom does that make sense? But, <laughs> but Yeah. yeah.
0: That's not even. That's not even on sort of the short list of days that would make sense.
1: I know. Uh, well, anyway.
0: Maybe maybe fifty years from now, that one will be celebrated too.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure yeah, that's, that's, that seems that seems super likely. Um,
0: but we are we are broadcasting on Hobbit Day, which is Bilbo and Frodo's birthday, um, and of course this is also exciting because it marks the beginning. Of the
1: Signum University fall fundraising campaign. That's right. right. It is right. Uh, Yeah. It's. uh, uh, And this is, of course, always a really big deal. Every fall, Um, we do our fundraising campaign, and this is our fifth campaign now, or so. We're going into our our fifth year of the campaign, our seventh year of existence uh, at Signum University, and uh, you know, this we have, uh, you know, been so blessed by the, uh, you know, the encouragement and support of our students and listeners, uh, for many years now. And we're, uh, 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 really sort of trusting to people's, uh, support again this year. Um, really fun campaign. And one thing I wanted to talk about right away, because this is actually, this is film film specific. One of the things that I wanted to do this year, I wanted to do a couple things a little bit differently with the fundraising campaign. And uh, so let me let me let me uh, explain how this is going to work in a sim film context. I, I want to do a special set of prize giveaways uh, to film film viewers, both those of you who attend live and also those of you who are listening to this session after the fact, because I know very many uh, of our film film people can't attend live at this particular time slot, um, you know, but listen to the episode uh, in the podcast afterwards or watch it on YouTube or whatever. So we are um,
0: lucky I make it
1: Right, exactly. Speaking of which, of course, uh, Trish couldn't make it today, unfortunately. So uh, Trish isn't able to be with us. Um, So like, so see... I was
0: about to say, we're we're, we're down, we're short one voice. Exactly, um, exactly. We'll do our best to carry on.
1: That's right. Um, So let me explain how this is going to work. For... uh, uh, we have our, our you know so we have, we have our session here today on the 22nd our next film film session uh, our next regularly scheduled film, film session would be on Friday October 6th 2 weeks from today uh, unfortunately, going to have to I'm going to have to reschedule that because uh, that's the day I am flying out to Iowa for the regional event that I've been uh, uh, announcing. We talked about that I think the last two uh, sessions, um, our Midwest regional gathering, which is going to be super fun on October seventh out in Waterloo, Iowa. Um, so I'm going to be I'm going to be in a plane. Uh, on that Friday the 6th, so we'll need to push that next episode forward to the 13th, which happens to be the second to last day of the fundraising campaign. We're having our culminating uh, 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 day-long Signum Webathon on Saturday the 14th this year, so... Um, uh, so anyway, yeah. So 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 as it happens, uh, we were doing this one film film episode at the very beginning of the campaign, and our next film film episode will be near the very end of the campaign. So here's how it's going to work: in between those times, so we have three weeks in between today and our next film film episode. Uh, during that time, everybody who makes a donation to Signum University uh, and uh, and sort of indicates that it's for film film, and I'll explain that in a second. Um, Will be entered into a drawing. We're going to give away, uh, th- we're going to give away books to people. These are resources, practical resources uh, for those of you, film-film listeners. Um, so th- you're going to get a choice of one of three books. Uh, if you win, you will get either uh, 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 Ted Naismith's uh, Illustrated Silmarillion, which uh, which we've we've given away before, and of course has obvious relevance uh, to the Silmarillion adaptation. Or the boxed set of the History of Middle-earth volumes one through five. Um, so you know you you will have heard us refer to the Book of Lost Tales and some of the earlier stuff, um, the the lays of Lath- you know the Lay of Lathian and stuff like that, the lays of Valerian um, So the uh, the the box set one through five contains all of that early Silmarillion material, basically from the very beginning of Tolkien's Silmarillion conceptions all the way through what he finished writing like what he put down in order to begin writing the Lord of the Rings essentially um uh, so lots of really really great stuff. So if you don't if you don't have that, you could choose uh, to get that to expand your your Tolkien bookshelf. Uh, and the third option is going to be the lovely Art of the Lord of the Rings, edited uh, by Hammond and Skull. Um, this uh, just a, a, a wonderful wonderful study of Tolkien's own art, um, which is again really interesting in thinking about visualizing and conceiving of uh, of Middle Earth as we've been doing. So. Uh, so as I say, everybody who, uh, who, who donates to, 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 to Signum and, uh, and marks it uh, with the film film, and here's how you do that, by the way. In order to enter in the drawing, here's all you have to do. Make a donation to Signum. So go to signumuniversity.org slash donate, or just go to our homepage and click on the Donate tab on the far right-hand side. Um, it'll take you to the, 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 the Donate Now page. If you make a donation of any size to Signum University uh, and then send an email afterwards. And the email is just very simply to donate at signumu.org. Donate at signumu.org. Um send an email there and just put some, uh, some film in the title, right? Uh, or in the you know the subject line of your email. And then we'll basically sort of count your donation in, in the pool and, and it will be entered in the drawing uh, from which you will get one of the three winners will get those three gifts. But wait, there's more. Uh, the uh, the largest gift that we get that is marked film film uh, will win our grand prize, uh, our grand film film prize uh, for this drawing. And that, pr- that, that the grand prize is to be an exec for the day. So you get to come and join us and uh, uh, participate in the discussion and, you know, kind of throw your weight around here and uh, deciding what's going to, what's going to be happening um, in the, uh, in uh, in the episode of your choice, so you can you can pick uh, you know something from later on in season three. Um, <laughs> yeah, so okay, so so that's how it works. So again, uh, go to uh, signumuniversity.org slash donate. Right, that'll that'll take you to our donation page. Make a donation to support Signum University, and then send an email to donate at. Signumu.org and mention Silmfilm Film in the uh, in the subject line so that we know you want to enter. Uh, you know you want to enter that donation into our into our drawing uh, for Silmfilm, Film. and we will uh, uh, and we'll 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 enter you into that. And again, three people uh, randomly will uh, will will win the book of their choice from those three that I mentioned, and uh, the 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 largest donation will win our grand prize, which is uh, which is to be an exact for for the day. So as Carita said, so that you too can go mad with power. So that's exactly, that's exactly the plan. So
0: uh, let's, let's review one more time. Okay. So go to org slash donate. Yep. Make a donation Make of a any, donation. Size. any size, obviously the larger, the better because you're increasing your chances of um, uh, uh, becoming an exec for a day. Exactly. Uh, send Send an email to donation at signum uh dot signum you.org and Donate what
1: is Donate at
0: Donate yeah. yeah. Oh sorry. Donate at signum That's right. Dot org. That's right. Um now I'm confusing things by reading. <laughs> what goes in the same
1: <laughs> Exactly. Mention film, film in the in the subject line, and uh, and then we'll know to enter you into the film, film drawing for that. Yep, exactly. So again, this is going to be open any time between you know, starting right now and going all the way through um, our episode. So we'll do we'll sort of we'll announce the winners in the episode in the, the, the next episode that we do on October thirteenth. Um, uh, so that will be. Uh, Uh, Yeah. So, so that'll be that. So, so people, so again, so even for those of you who are listening at home, I know, um, you know, I've heard from people sometimes who, you know, when we talk about sort of things live during the show, we'll sort of, you know, email afterwards and be like, oh, I just heard about this, but like, it's already over, you know, so uh, we wanted to make sure to give an opportunity for people to, uh, uh, to join in. Uh, for this, even when they're listening asynchronously. So, so that's what's going to happen. We're also going to be doing other things um, I recommend to you. So if you go to um, the Signum University YouTube channel... Um, uh, I just posted a video, a 20 minute video, um, sort of describing the campaign and what's happening in the campaign. Uh, and so you can hear more about other events going on. We're going to be doing our, our annual webathon at the end, of course, as I've mentioned on Saturday the 14th. And I think we're going to have some film film related discussion there as well. So, um, uh, so there'll be, uh, there'll be some other stuff going on and we'll, we'll be explaining that and announcing that more, uh, during our next session as well. All right, and of course it's Hobbit Day. So on, so on a pure Hobbit Day uh, uh, piece of news um, tonight, I'm going to be hosting a, a casual Tolkien uh, uh, reading. Um, uh, time we're going to have a, a Tolkien reading and uh, followed by light, casual, spontaneous discussion. Um, so that's going to be uh, that's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be tonight at nine thirty p.m. Eastern time. This announcement will not be so very useful for people listening asynchronously, um, but uh, for those of you who are here with me, I hope you'll consider joining me tonight. I have posted on my uh, my Twitter. Um, uh, page my uh, my Tolkien professor Twitter account um, a poll uh, for which uh, passage you would most like to hear me read and talk about tonight uh, and uh, I, you know so I, I encourage you to go and vote. Um, if you are on Twitter, let me, uh, let me check and see, I want to see what the, the latest, okay, so the four passages, by the way, that I nominated, that I, th- that I nominated to read are catastrophe at Pelennor, so that's, of course, like the battle leading right up to the arrival of Aragorn and Legos and Gimli, uh, in the, in the ships with black sails, uh, Niggle's Parish, the end of Leaf by Niggle, one of my favorite, uh, uh parts of Tolkien, um, Funny poems of the 1920s. Do you want to hear the original version of the Oliphant poem? The unrecognizable early version of the Oliphant poem, which is completely hilarious? Vote for funny poems of the 1920s. And then also Conversation with Smaug. So we'll read from the converse- the, uh, the Inside Information chapter of The Hobbit. So far, uh, Conversation with Smaug is, is, is winning handily, so... Uh, so uh, Marie, no, I wasn't going to include Goblin Feet among funny poems of the 1920s, but heck, that's a funny poem of the 19-teens, actually, but, uh, but, uh, Goblin Feet is kind of fun. I'll, I'll, I'll read some of the, some of the other early poems there, there perhaps. Um, but, uh, excellent. Yeah, thank you, uh, Marie for, uh, sending me a copy. I was going to go fetch that, but I didn't get a chance. So yeah, here's the, uh, here's the link to the YouTube video for the campaign for uh, those of you who are here with us live. And also uh, for those of you who are joining us on our Twitch channel, which is great. And uh, good to see you guys. I see the Locho Ranger and uh, Lee Nightingales and Milthaliel and Phil Boswell there. Good to see you guys there. A happy Hobbit day to you. Uh, and thanks for joining us. So, all right. So that's the stuff that's going on to that's at least a glimpse of the stuff that's going on today. Um, lots of, uh, lots of really fun stuff, but we've got a lot of film film to talk about today because of course, as you'll remember, we didn't quite finish with our kinslaying episode. There were still a few important unresolved questions, uh, that we need to go back to. Um, before we can, lingering. yeah, before we can even carry on with uh, episode three, so uh, let's uh, let's let's jump right to that. All right.
0: As you can hear from Wally in the background, he's excited to, to to take this topic back up.
1: That's right. Yeah, yeah. I could tell he was kind of impatient with us for not uh, not getting through that last time. So uh, I'm I, <laughs> he, he's showing remarkable restraint. I think all things considered. All right. So, um, the big question, of course, that we didn't, uh, really get to talk about last time, um, was the Galadriel question. How is Galadriel going to act, uh, in and during the Kinslang? Um, and this is important for a couple different reasons. One, uh, Okay, there are two primary reasons that I would say why this is important. The biggest one is it, it impacts the larger question of, like, which Galadriel are we going to be talking about, you know? Um, and we've t- we talked about this a little bit earlier. You know, we talked about this in, in for episode two when—no, uh, episode one—when uh, when we were showing her reactions to Feanor's speech— um, and remember the question was like which goadriel are we talking about of the different goadriels that uh, that tolkien kind of uh, proposed that uh, we see in unfinished tales um the different versions of goadriel's character um which one was and we decide we, we we decided last or the time before last on sort of the the more fallible of the goadriels not the one who is setting out for middle earth independently of the rest of the noldor um you know with uh, uh, you know, uh, pure heart and uh, um, and uh, uh, unwavering purpose to oppose Feanor and uh, uh, assist the Valar and everything else. Um, we that wanted no her, super Galadriel. No super Galadriel. We wanted her to be uh, to be fa- but we were. St- but in a sense, we're kind of compromising, right? That because we did want her still to be opposed to Feanor, so she's resistant to Feanor, but yet she is drawn. As the published Silmarillion says, uh, drawn to um, having a realm of her own, like she really likes that idea. So, so we decided to have her eager to go back to Middle Earth, but still resistant to Feanor. Right. Um, So, how do we fit her into the kinslaying um, in that context? Now, this the second reason why it's important, of course, is that Galadriel, in the published Silmarillion, Galadriel is one of the chief sort of spokespersons, uh, for the Noldor and the kinslaying in the thingle and Melian context. Right. So of the, of the Noldor who come into contact with thingle and Melian, when thingle, of course, finds out that his brother, uh, you know, his, his brother's people were killed and, 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 you know, it's kind of a big deal, right. To thingle, the former leader of the Teleri that the Teleri were slaughtered by the, uh, by the, the, the Noldor on the Noldor's way out of town. Um, Galadriel is one of the ones who's going to be really put on the spot about that, and that conversation between Galadriel and Melian is uh, is kind of a big deal, right? Um, so thinking towards that and what is going to be Galadriel's position uh, towards it's one of the reasons uh, you know to kind of set her up for what what her position is going to be um, as uh, as one of the really important characters that's kind of standing between, going between, really. Uh, the Noldor in Beleriand and, and, uh, Thingol and Million in Beleriand. So, um, uh, let's, um, uh, well, so let's think about Galadriel. Oh, quick side question from Phil Boswell, um, about should the, should the Teleri, you know, the, the Teleri call themselves, um, the Lindar, uh, the, the singers, right? Um which is sort of a memory of the old name of the Teleri, which was the solo simpi, the shoreland pipers. Um, uh, but anyway, um, I feel I'm, I'm inclined against it for clarity purposes. I mean, like, let's be honest, there's enough different names of people in Tolkien without our adding, without our going out of our way to include every single possible permutation. Um and I, I do think that we're gonna we're gonna we're likely to confuse people. If uh, uh, I mean, I think if our viewers can keep the Teleri, the Noldor, and the Vanyar straight, we've 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 accomplished a thing. If they are able, as we hope, to keep. Um, you know, like the people of Linway who separated off before and the people of, uh, Kierden who stayed at the Havens and the people of, uh, Elway who came and followed him until, until Thingol and Melian emerged and set up their own king If they can keep all that straight, they're doing super well, right? And we've done our job exceptionally well. So I think trying to overcomplicate it, um, is, uh, is, uh, probably not a good idea. Um... Okay, but anyway, back to the um, uh, back to the Galadriel question. Now we remember that the the basic just a, a quick review of the basic paradigm of the kinslaying, like the basic the basic sequence of the of the uh, uh, of the kinslaying. We had Thanor and his people. On the ships, right? They're in. They're in front. They go on. They just. They just walk on from the caves onto the ships and start seizing them and taking them out. Some of them are occupied uh, by Teleri. Others will have the Teleri swiftly pursuing them in smaller boats. And so we will have uh, lots of uh, 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 pushing and shoving and fisticuffs breaking out as the Teleri try to retain control of their ships. Feanor will be the one to shed the first blood and kill the first person. Um, in the fight uh, to retain control of the ship that he has, Olwe will come and uh, uh, board the ship with Fanor in it to try to reason with Feanor uh, and get him to turn back and stop stealing their ships. Uh, the people of Fingolfin are following behind, so when they see the ships going out into the harbor, uh, they see the, the fight going on. Remember we had that arch above the, uh, the exit? to the harbor you know sort of the gateway out of the harbor and we had that lined with archers right with uh to archers so they they form up uh, up there and they're ready to shoot the noldor though they're reluctant uh to start uh the the uh the the bloodshed when they see um the uh the the bloodshed begin on board ship they start shooting and that's what fingolfin sees when he comes down he sees what looks like an ambush um uh, what looks like a trap set by the Teleri, um, and he goes to fight the archers and to 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 drive them from the arch to clear the way for Feanor and the other Noldor who are sailing out. Um, that's when his sister is killed, and he then uh, goes and uh, uh, kills a bunch of people. So F- Fingolfin is very much guilty of blood under some. Misapprehensions, right? I mean, there's, there's, there's some, you know, a tragic misunderstanding on both sides there, uh, and I think that that can work really, really well. Um, and Olway gets killed on shipboard by uh, by or there, um, and Finarfin, and the last, he does not fight, right? He comes down after the fighting is already engaged, and he, you know, we had him throwing his sword away and um, uh, just kind of being horrified uh, at uh, at the whole thing. Um, so where's Galadriel? She's not going to be on board the ships with the Feanorians, right? Because she's going to have distance herself already from Feanor. So she could be, do we want her? So it seems to me that the first and uh, most important question with Galadriel about her participation in the kinslaying, should she be with the host of Fingolfin and involved in the fighting uh, up to and on the arch? Or should she be with the host of Finarfin and merely coming in and witnessing it at the end? Do we want her to be guilty, essentially? Do we want her to shed blood at the kinslaying, or merely to be a witness to it? Tony is voting for her being with Finarfin so that she can claim blamelessness uh, with Melian later on. I certainly do agree that Actually, making her—I mean, actually making her guilty—would be interesting, uh, but um, it would complicate things later on, right? I mean, if she, if, if if she actually has blood on her hands, um, it does make it uh, what
0: if, uh, what trickier. If, what if? What if? Um, what if? Perhaps she has some blood on her hands, but it's sort of, but it's it's happenstance, or you know, it's it's not hard to imagine. A new, like uh, uh, um, a contingent of Noldor showing up, and then, you know, at, uh, in the thick of in the thick of things, and having you know, Teleri attack them because you know, I mean, at that point, you kind of got to assume that any Noldor show up or just uh, reinforcements. Right. So maybe she defends herself, um, which is understandable, but still wouldn't make her blameless in the eyes of um, of, the, of the the Sindar.
1: Right. Right. Um,
0: something tragic like that maybe.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, there was some thought as Maria's reminding me, um, that, that she could join in to help defend the Teleri, you know, that she could, uh, um, just be so horrified that she takes action on the other side. Um, I could even imagine a situation in which she did both, essentially, right? You know, in which she, um, one thing that I think would be interesting would be to have Galadriel be one of the only people there who realizes the mistakes. Like, you know, so we, again, we have some misunderstandings on both sides, right? Um, especially, again, you know, to Fingolfin, the archers on the on the bridge look bad, Right. Um, and he makes an understandable error in his interpretation of the event, right? Um, Similarly, uh, the Teleri make um, an understandable misinterpretation of his charging towards them, right? Neither of them has lethal intention towards the other initially, um, but it's the Teleri that opened fire first, assuming that Fingolfin and and his people are charging up to kill them. Um, Maybe we have Galadriel realize, like, the tragedy that is unfolding, right, put her in a position of being not exactly outside it, but like being the one to perceive like the tragic irony of what's going on and trying to uh, trying to stop it, even though she uh, uh, even though she fails ultimately to 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 do that. Um, yeah, yeah. Brianna was suggesting that maybe we could have uh, Goadru actually intervene and stop Feanor from killing Olway. Um well, Brandon, the only problem with that plan is that it ends up with Olway not dying, <laughs> which I really want to kill alway um, and nothing personal but um uh, yeah Tony suggests that uh it would be interesting if she speaks to Olway in favor of Feanor initially um, uh but then uh, is so frustrated with Feanor's ignorance, not ignorance, arrogance, uh, she weaves and rejoins Finarfin's people before the battle. Yeah, I mean, of course, Tony, one of the things that we have to be careful of, right, she can't be so reactionary against Feanor that she sticks with Finarfin, right? At the end of the day, she's not going to stay with her dad, right? She's not going to stay behind. Um, She's going to go ahead. Um, And I mean, I do think that it's okay. I, I would kind of like to introduce an element of that other Goadriel. That is, I, I'd like to introduce an element of, um, Goadriel wanting to oppose Fanor, right? Like, I don't want to, you know, I can't turn back and stay home because I can't, I, I don't want to leave, you know, all of my, my kin and family to that madman, right? Um... So I want to go to, to, to oppose fan but again, her motives there are not pure. Like she also wants to go, she wants power for herself. She, you know, she could even see, uh, well, she wouldn't see fan as a kind of rival though. That's, that's not, um, uh, I wonder, I wonder right.
0: um, if you can kind of sort of do sort of the well-intentioned, the stated, well, the stated in good intention of like, well, someone has to go and oppose him and look right. out for our people. Uh, but have it mingled with pride,
1: right, right.
0: But, I, I feel like that's the that's kind of the interesting hybrid gladiol, right? The one who has the best of intentions, but um, but none the but is polluted by that sayonoian pride,
1: right, right. exactly. And really, we're just we're just planting the seeds of that, right? I mean, really, When Galadriel is going to come, her role in the early story isn't going to be huge. And by early story, I mean, like, the whole first age, essentially. Her role in the whole first age isn't huge. Where Galadriel really comes into her own is in the second age, right? So I think, in in some ways, the crucial point for Galadriel's character, and here I'm thinking towards um, what uh, Anarwin on the uh, Twitch chat was just saying, that, you know, she is the last to return from Middle-earth, and there has to be a reason for that. Yeah, th- exactly. That is a big deal. And even, you know, her temptation with the One Ring and everything, it's a big deal. Uh, and we're kind of ultimately building up to that. But I think the real turning point for Galadriel is the... the her choice not to leave after the War of Wrath, and then what she does in the Second Age, right? The Second Age is when Galadriel really establishes herself as one of the dominant powers of Middle-earth. Um... And, uh, you know, we, 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 we see, and I, you know, we can follow up many of the suggestions of stories that are pointed to, uh, in Unfinished, in the Unfinished Tales, uh, Celeborn and Goadriel stuff, um, such as her being involved with, uh, Celebrimbor and uh, the establishment of her, you know, her sort of encouraging the establishment of the kingdom of Eregion, her establishment of the, uh, of the, uh, of, you know, her sort of forging the alliance uh, between the elves of Holland or Eregion and, uh, and the dwarves of Khazad-dum, the way that she's kind of strategizing. So, I mean, it's pretty easy to kind of take Galadriel's. Even her the establishment of her kingdom in Lothlorien, right, is is can can have some kind of interesting twists to it, and be connected with her own seeking of power. Um, so, like I said, that's kind of the the big Galadriel story. So we're just planting seeds of what's of what's going to be happening uh, later on there. Um, so. Um, so okay, coming back then. Oh yeah, the, the other thing I wanted to say about with uh, with Fëanor, the more I was talking about it, the more I was thinking, um, the uh, the idea of her opposing Fëanor openly, right, and of her sort of considering herself, in some sense, you know, like a a guard against Fanor or like, you know, I need to protect the rest of the Noldor from Fanor. I think that's going to, that would come across really weird. Cause remember we've shown in season two, we showed Galadriel as a little girl, you know, with Feanor already in his power and contemplating the, the, the forging of the Silmarils. Um, they're not peers. Galadriel and Fanor are not peers. Um, he is, you know, at his height and she's, still young, you know, and, um, has no real, um, has no real clear prominence. Right. Uh, so, uh, I think, I think we can't push that too far. I think we can't push a rivalry, an open rivalry between Galadriel and Feanor too far. Um, but at the same time, everyone, all of our viewers are going to understand, right? They're all going to understand um, the significance of, like, why we stick with Galadriel. Like, she's important, right? I mean, she's going to stand out to everybody. Um, so our viewers are likely to care what she does and what she's thinking about things, even if she is not yet truly like, in a prominent sort of leadership role among the other Noldor at that stage. Um, Corita is saying uh, that she thinks her killing Goadriel's—not uh goadriels killing uh, to defend someone makes her complicated and interesting. Um, good and bad actions and motives in a single moment. Um, yes, yes. What if? What if we make it even one step more complicated than that? Because I agree. That one thing that I um, that I want to be cautious of. Um, one thing I want to be cautious of is that confrontation with Melian later on. Um, remember the phrase in the published Silmarillion is, you know, Thingol says uh, to, you know, the other children of Finarfin, he says, you know, I marvel at you uh, that you come to me thus red-handed from the killing of, 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 of your kin, right? Um, and they're like, oh, not all of us come red-handed, right? Um, even though uh, they're unwilling to throw like Finrod is unwilling <clears throat> to throw even the Feanorians under the bus. Um, if Galadriel is in fact red-handed <laughs> with the blood uh, of her kin, it's a little awkward, right? Um, and how is she going to be? You know, Melian could be understanding or whatever, but um, I, um, I don't think it's hard for me to see how Fingal is going to be okay with, like, why would he not kick her out? You know, and if he does, what would that do with the story? I mean, what would we do with her at that point? Um, I don't think we want to go there necessarily. So having her actually, you know, having held a sword, which killed one of the Teleri is, is I think maybe a little bit further than we want to go. Um, uh, yeah karina, I was thinking that too karina was suggesting maybe she does kill a Tuary and then like you know sort of regrets it sees the problem and and sort of switches around uh and and supports the tillary that I think just kind of makes her um makes her it risks making her just look weak and 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 uh like a traitor to both sides right uh, and uh hated by all and loved by none, which we'd have to be careful of um but uh Um, yeah, yeah. Um, so, so Marie, I agree. I think mostly innocent is how we need to do it. What about this? What if, um, what if she's guilty, but in a slightly more complex or indirect way? What if she does something which leads to other, to the death of others, even though she doesn't kill them herself? Um, What if she, I don't know what, gives bad advice or attempts to intervene in order to cause peace? Like, I'm imagining, for instance, a situation where she, um, she tries to hold back, um, she, you know, one of the other, uh, the people of Fingolfin, cause I'm, I'm, I'm imagining her here with the people of Fingolfin. Um, so one of the other, uh, of, of Fingolfin's people is like getting ready to charge up towards the Teleri and, 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 and gonna attack them, uh, and kill them. And she tries to stop him and she like, so, uh, you know, so she, she stops him and like, you know, he drops, uh, his, and as soon as he drops his shield, like he's shot. Uh, uh, by one of the Teleri um, so that it it looks like it's her fault, right? Um, I don't know. Something like that, you know, like, it it doesn't just look like... I mean, it is her fault. Like, she says, drop your guard, and then they get killed, right? Something in that line, but maybe it should work the other way around. Maybe what she's doing should be... um, should lead to the death of the Teleri instead. Do you see the kind of thing that I'm getting at, though? Like, something more... something more tragic, right? Which would weigh on her with guilt, right? She would feel like that she played a role and not a good one, right? Uh, one which ended in the death, even though she, she might not herself strike a blow. In fact, the, uh, this occurrence could lead her to stand aside. We could see her while the rest of the people of Fingolfin charge in, she could stand aside, right? Um, and we could show her standing aside. um, What do you think, Dave? Is this a, is this a little too contorted?
0: No, I think this is heading in the right direction. Uh, like I really think I think um, I think whereas Fanor's story is 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 one of kind of well-intentioned or not, not well-intentioned is is um, is a sort of overtly I don't wanna, I don't know if I really want to use the word corrupt, but but He's not evil per se, but but he is very clearly heading in the wrong direction. You know, his pride is is he's wearing sort of a a, a really really um, pernicious pride on his right. sleeve. I think Galadriel's story, at least the way we're we're posing it, with kind of the the, the hybrid Galadriel, is right. is one of sort of the road to the the road to hell being paved with yes. good intentions. Yes, you know, of being uh, of. Of sort of the 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 which is which is a story we see in Tolkien, repeatedly. Yes, absolutely, um, uh, you know, of of people looking and saying, you know, like I have to get involved. I'm. It has to be me. I have to do this because mm-hmm. look, all this other bad stuff will happen if I don't do this. Uh, if I don't get involved, you know, um, and um, um, <clears throat> and what we see is that. That, you know, frequently when we see characters in that situation in Tolkien, we, it's hard to see it, it's hard to, to imagine any other choice that they could make because we as the readers, as, you know, sort of um, prideful human beings ourselves, we look and we think, well, yeah, of course, they have to do that. They can't do right. other than they did. Right. Nonetheless, there end up being, really, you know, oftentimes being negative consequences um, that they, you know, that they or their descendants end up having, you know, spending a long time trying to pay down the debt that they incur. And, and with Gladriel's story, it comes full circle with her finally realizing in the end that the, 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 you know, with, with Frodo in the ring, the way for her to help is to not be involved, is yeah. to back off, right yeah. Like as an act of humility of saying, "This isn't in my hands anymore." You know, I'll I'll support you and I'll help you, but I'm not going to be directly involved. I won't I won't take the ring by force. I won't accept the ring when offered freely to me. Right. I won't go on the quest. My job is to counsel you and give you shelter, but then otherwise to just be hands off. Right, back off.
1: Right. So, yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So I definitely really, I want to do something with her. I want to bookend her full story mm-hmm. with something at the beginning that involves the opposite decision.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, as as Tony was just uh, saying, Goadrill's story is ultimately a redemption story. So we are in these early stages setting up that moment of redemption that's going to happen in the in the Lord of the Rings, uh, as you were pointing to. Um, yeah, yeah, no, I, I, that's exactly. I think how we need to be thinking uh, of it. There' bunch of really interesting suggestions. Um, uh, in, the, uh, uh, in the Twitch chat, uh, Urstag, Urstarg was saying, uh, you know, maybe, maybe she leads Fingolfin to misjudge the situation. You know, or maybe she, uh, uh, you know, per- perhaps she plays an instrumental role in the misunderstanding that, that, that leads to the battle. Um, that would be really kind of interesting. Um, uh, Milthaliel suggested that maybe she convinced a group of Teleri to lay down their arms and then they're killed. Right after they weighed down their arms, um, uh, that too again. I'm 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 not 100 percent sure how the like logistics of it would work. Right, um, but it but that kind that 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 kind of thing is exactly in the sort of direction that I'm that I'm thinking of. Um, yeah, I really like. Um, uh, oh wait, who's uh, who's? Oh yeah, uh, Corita was pointing out that thinking thinking forward to her. Uh, I sang of leaves, of leaves of gold and leaves of gold there grew song right in the Lord of the Rings um, you know, Korea says if her power lies in like speaking, th- you know, singing things into being in that way, you know, maybe she, she we, we start off with her sort of trying to speak peace into existence and failing, right and that really haunts her um, and could be of course one of the things which not only just haunts her and makes her feel bad, but even leads to her trying to seize power later on, right? I mean, you know, maybe one of the things that we see her do, one of the things that, you know, all this stuff informs her decision in the second age to take a more proactive role and say like, okay, um, I saw things go wrong. The first time I sort of sat on the sidelines and you know, I, 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 played an unfortunate role, even if not like a, a central role, but still an unfortunate role at the Kinslaying. That was kind of scarring. And then I was kind of on the sidelines and watched things go really badly, you know, in the first age during the war against Morgoth. Um, so my response, I'm going to take matters into my own hands, right? And that's what she does in the second age. And, and you know, that's why she decides to stay and not return uh, 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 into the West. And that's what she then ends up doing in the second age. And it's that then that she's finally sort of working through and, uh, and kind of repenting of, um, in, um, when she, when she refuses the ring of power. So, yeah, I like this, uh, so let's see. So, uh, uh, Marie, Nick, do you think you guys have enough to work with? Can you make this happen some way? I'm not, I'm not committing myself cause I I, I don't see it yet. I, I don't have a clear picture of exactly the role, like exactly what it is that she could do. But I think all of these ideas are pointing in the right direction. Like, you know, for her to be the essence of it is for her to be culpable in some way for her to have guilt on her head, but not blood on her hands. Right. And to have that haunt her and, have her desire to take a stronger role, but it's going to be something which is in the shorter term. Of course, this is Elvish short term, right? In the next few millennia, it's going to it's going to lead her uh, actually to 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 making some wrong decisions, and we can see in some of her conversations with Melian that we'll get to do later on. Um, we will um, uh, we will will sort of see her kind of working through that um, and uh, and working towards the sort of uh, the sort of Questionable answer that she's going to have. Uh, okay, great. Uh, uh, Nick says he, they've got our back. Marie says they'll, they'll 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 be able to come up with something which I will surely veto later. So I agree. That sounds great. Um, that sounds like a plan to me. Um, okay, very good. So I think now the other uh, the other two things that we wanted to come back to uh, from the end of the kinslaying, uh, the reaction of the Valar and the storm of Uinen. So again, just to remind people. Uh, the reaction of the Valar, the non-reaction of the Valar, really is what we mean, right? You know, so the Valar are going to know that the kinslaying happened. The kinslaying is going to be a super huge deal. They are going to decide, however, nobody can intervene, right? No one, no one, no one. The Valar don't rush down to stop this happening, nor do they like arrest the Noldor and or smite them or something like that right away. In fact, the Valar are prevent are are forbidden. Um, to intervene and oppose the Noldor, uh, so how does that happen, right? What's that conversation like among the Valar uh, as that happens? Do we have who wants to go rush off and uh, smite the Noldor, um, and how is the decision made not to do that? Um, so, uh, um, so that's that's one question. The other. Is Uinen? Of course, we know in the published text that that ban is passed, like they're not allowed to do anything. But Uinen kind of does anyway, right? Because you know she and Ase are kind of uh, uh, are, are kind of anti-establishment in that way, right? Um, so she weeps for the uh, for the death of the Teleri, and you know when she is weeping and angry. Uh, there, a great storm arises, and many of the, uh, of the Feanorians are wrecked, uh, and drowned as a result. Um, so, I guess my, let's do the Valar first. Let's talk about the conversation with the Valar. Um, first of all, Dave, should we depict it? I kind of think we should. Um, I kind of think we should. I guess, in large part, because I am. I am generally pro ramping up the presence, maintaining the presence of the Valar. I don't want to leave the Valar behind. I don't want to forget about the Valar. Obviously, they're not going to be totally central characters, um, but I don't want to follow the lead of the published Silmarillion in this. Um, in basically leaving Valinar, Valinor and, and most of the Valar behind completely after the hiding of Valinor um, and then just following the things that are going on in Middle-earth as if the Valar are not paying attention or not involved in any way um, most of the, you know, the vast majority of the time. I don't, I don't really <coughs> want, I, I don't really want to do that. I want to, I want to show the Valar's involvement a little bit more. Um And, uh, Marie, I agree. I do think that the audience is going to wonder why no one is stepping in to stop the kinslaying. Um, I think that we do need to explain why it's permitted to happen. Um, so, okay, so what do you guys, so we, we have a bunch of suggestions, um, Of where the Valar themselves fall out on the question of how to respond uh, to the Kinslaying. Uh, You are right um, Phil that Tulkas is usually portrayed as the most impulsive of the Valar and we've certainly uh, uh, availed ourselves of that uh, uh, at various other points uh, earlier on. Um, uh, Somebody, who was it? Um, oh, yeah, Hakan was asking, why not give the desire to smite to Manway just for once uh, instead of always making him the peacemaker? Um, it's an interesting idea, Hakan. It's hard to see somebody overruling Manway, right? Um, I mean, how does that, where does the decree come from? I mean, it could come from Mandos, right? But if, if Manway gets overruled by Mandos, I'm not Sure that that creates a, a kind of a, a comfortable situation, right? Um, Marie suggests uh, Varda putting a discreet hand on, on Manway's arm, right, uh, uh, to sort of restrain him. Um, uh, possibly, possibly. Um, one thing, by the way that i that I feel pretty strongly strongly about, Manway should be one of the most outspoken in favor of smiting the Noldor. Um, Because Manwe was the one that was closest to them. This is something that doesn't get talked about a lot, and it gets kind of dropped in the published Silmarillion, but it is very explicit in the earlier versions. I'm pretty sure it is still there, very explicitly in the 1937 Quintus Silmarillion, and the one that Tolkien um, put down when he, when he picked up The Lord of the Rings. Um, b- pretty explicit that Manwe is ticked. Like, when Manwe feels personally betrayed by the Noldor, and when the Noldor rebel... And leave. He is their enemy at that point. Um, I mean, he's sad and he accept- he's reconciled to Finarfin and his people when they return. Um, but he writes them off. He's, is he's, he's the most upset of the lot. Um, Oh, sorry. I meant Aule. I I was misspeaking. I meant Aule. I apologize for misspeaking there. Yeah, yeah. Aule. I'm talking about Aule there. Um, Aule is the uh, is the, the the one who is closest to them and who is therefore angry. I, I apologize for that. I can just just uh, I'm misspeaking on my part. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, so Aule is the one who feels personally betrayed, and he. So I would I would have him leading the uh, the charge uh, against them man because manway is not can i its it's hard basically manway is is kind of in the you know the judicial seat here um and one who has sort of the most objectivity um in the whole situation um and you know the other thing I'm thinking here you know the that famous conversation that uh that so many people like to quote um the conversation between Mandos and uh and Manway, the the one about uh, you know that evil shall be good to have been and Mando says and yet remain evil, right? I would like to integrate that conversation into this um into this scene, essentially. Um to have Manway's decision not to smite, right? His 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 decision to urge all of the angry Valar to hold on and not smite, I would like to have that linked explicitly to Manwe's grief over the fall of Theonor and the Noldor, right? That he's he's not just saying, oh, let's be merciful, right? Let's not smite... It's like, they deserve it, but let's not smite them because we're big that way, right? That's not, that's not his argument. I think that the thing that Manway should be suggesting, right? Like, Essentially, they, the anti, um, the anti Noldor folks, are you know will be emphasizing the guilt of the Noldor, right? The guilt of the Noldor. They have done wrong, you know. They should be punished for what they've done. And Manway's counter to that will essentially be, they have look look what's happened to them, right? Look what they have done to themselves. Um, look how far they have fallen. Look at the wreck that is the Noldor. Now think of the the potential of the Noldor. Think of the role that they were meant to play. Um, think of what we were trying to build when we brought them here, um, and uh, and and look at the wreck of things. Right? The fall of the no- the tragedy. Uh, yes, the slaying of the Teleri is a tragedy, and Manway obviously is going to take away from that the you know, the dead to Larry are are tragic, but remember our conversation from last time, right? Dead elves are not uh necessarily like death isn't necessarily the worst thing that can happen to an elf, right? Or rather, being an innocent who is slain in a good cause is by far not the worst thing that can happen to an elf, right? There are many people who argue it's not the worst thing that happened to anybody, but it's certainly not the worst thing that can happen to an elf. Um an elf who, so in, in, um, and for those of you who follow the Mythgard Academy uh, stuff may recognize uh, the overtone of Boethius and what I'm about to say, um, you know, from Boethius' Consolation of Philosophy that we studied in that class a few months back. Um, um with elves, it seems even more, uh, uh, more importantly true uh, than Boethius was trying to argue, those who who do the, the evil thing, who perform the evil acts, an elf who murders his kin unlawfully, There is a clearer sense, clearer in the case of elves, given their immortality and and the fact that death is a sort of relocation, right? Uh, uh, You know, within the context of elvish life in Arda, a temporary relocation, right? Um, And a change, as we talked about last time. But anyway, the elf who slays his kin unjustly receives more harm than the kin who is unjustly slain, right? Um, There is a sense in which actually... The wrong done, uh, the wrong that has been done to the victim is more easily redressed in the case of elves than the wrong that the killer has done to himself. See what I mean by that? Um, So, um, yeah, exactly. Marie says it much more succinctly than I'm saying it. Corruption is a fate worse than death. Absolutely. And that's the point that Manway would make essentially. Manway would say, like, the, yes, like, the death of the, the Teleri is horrible, and the Noldor are guilty and have done wrong. That's the big tragedy here. Like, the, the, the biggest tragedy, the thing that he is mostly mourning over, is the fall of the Noldor, and of Theanor himself. Um, so, um Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, so exactly, Lance, the 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 fall of Feanor is not the least of the evil works uh, of 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 Melkor. Absolutely, absolutely. So I think it would be really neat to make that point, and that seems. Like a very Manway thing, not only fitting with what Manway in the text says, but also fitting the Manway that we have been depicting. I mean, thinking about the, the Manway at the end of season one, right? The Manway who is, who is uh, 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 you know, weeping at the war to begin all wars and all that, you know, so the Manway who decided to give Melkor uh, probation, right? Um, those things, uh, the, it, it, it seems to fit within that. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that that, I, I think that that works really well. So who would, who else would be, pro, would anyone be speaking up pro not pro Noldor exactly? Cause who's going to defend what they're doing? But, um, I could see like a couple very angry rash folks, right? Like, uh, Aule and, uh, probably Tolkas, um, you know, standing up to say, like, let's go like, beat the tar out of the Noldor uh, to pay them out for what they've, you know, to punish them for what they've done. Um, would anyone speak for the Noldor? Tony suggests Nienna. I, Nienna certainly plays a role, but I suspect that her role uh, would be her normal one, right? She'd be, she'll be weeping. Uh, and we can kind of cut to the tears of Nienna from Mandos' speech, right, in the middle of Mandos's speech. Um... Uh, so yeah, um, the, the, pro no lore argument, I think would be not again, nobody trying to, to defend or excuse what the, you know, the crimes that have been committed, but basically some who would argue against painting them all with the same brush, right? Um, some who would, who would, who would, um, urge understanding, right? Um, that it's not, it's you know, all isn't as you know, not all of them were guilty. Um, many of them didn't understand what was happening. You, you know, I, 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 I could see some people, um, uh, saying that interesting. Zachary is suggesting Varda, you know, Zachary, thinking forward, uh, to the way that the Noldor call upon Varda, right? I mean, just thinking about Gildor and Glory and, Song right, you know their song in the Fellowship of the Ring there, um, and the way that they address Elbereth and the way they talk about Elbereth, kind of seems like maybe actually she should speak up for the Noldor, right? Um, But again, what what she would do would basically say, you know, she would oppose those who are more rash and thoroughgoing in their opposition, and merely say it's not as simple as that, right? You know, it's, it's not, uh, there's more to it than that. Um, and very good. Phil Boswell reminds us that, uh, th- um, Orame got on fairly well with the Sons of Feanor. right? Remember him hanging out with Kelegorm. Uh, uh, so, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, he might argue for restraint. I could see that. Um, uh, Marie, great question. What does Olmo think? Is he even there? Good follow-up question, Marie. We could always cop out and just have him be absent at the time. Um, And we know he's usually absent, right? You know, he's very rarely does he attend any of the councils. So, um... In fact, Marie, that might set the stage a little bit for Uanin's deviation, right? Um... Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I think that would, if he's absent, we could have you know say and Owen and uh, you know exchange a, a a a significant look and walk out of the room, right? Uh, you know, like they're not gonna you know where the, the, their boss is away, so uh, uh, so they uh, they have their own ideas, um, and that is very much kind of in Al say character, right? So that, that would seem to work. Um, ooh, Zachary asks a great question. What about Yovana? Should she be with or against her husband? I, I would see her being sort of relatively, certainly less passionate than Aule, uh, in that case. Um, but I wouldn't necessarily see her opposing him. I, I don't see Yovana necessarily having a big stake in it. Um, yeah,
0: Yeah, I don't know Other than sort of general I'm, I'm, I imagine there's sort of Among the Valor, there's a general Sorrow at what's happened Right And disapproval of uh, What the Noldor have done But um, I don't think Among folks, I don't think Giovanna would have The, the greatest visceral reaction To the right. Noldor To the Kinslang or the Noldor going east uh, unless, is there, is there any kind of lingering, simmering, resent, like, are they, is there anything still sort of a lingering resentment about the trees? And exactly. Faenor's unwillingness to
1: help? It, just what Nick was just pointing, uh, to, yeah. I mean, she certainly, as Nick says, has no great love for Feanor, right? Um, I don't think that we want to, th- there's a risk, um, that, uh, it would make her look um, petty, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, to be like, well, let's smite fanar because he said no to me. And if I can't have my trees, then, you know, I mean, obviously we wouldn't depict it that way, but there's a risk there. You know, I'm thinking mm-hmm. of maybe what we do with Yvonne is have her just be silent and stony faced, essentially. And, you know, so like we can see that there's like she's upset and there's conflict within her, but she doesn't commit herself in this debate. And then that way people can, Read it how they want, right? Sort of, fit it in uh, how best it uh, so how, how best well, it works.
0: The, just an off the wall thought. Um, well, regarding the trees, um, there's no there's no chance that, for example. So, so the main the main reason, you know, I feel like the main if if they were going to feel, you know, if, if the trees played a role in this, I would think it would be a role of sort of like a desire to still compel Fainor to help. But of course, Fainor no longer has possession of the Silmarils. Oh, so right, yeah. Sort yeah. of pointless. Could there be any contingent among the Valar of people sort of disapproving of the means, but approving of the end? Like, you know, yeah, well, you know, the, hey, uh, he's going to go try to get the Silmarils back and we need them to save the trees anyway. That's a good thing,
1: right? <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think having her be silent and not be an active participant is probably best. But yeah, I mean, all of these are factors, right? All of these things are sort of issues that um, mm-hmm. are kind of lingering in the background. Um, yeah, um,
0: is there are there any among the the Valar that would be maybe tacitly or silently, if not supporting what the Noldor are doing, maybe somewhat. Secretly pleased that the Noldor that someone's going to oppose uh, Morgoth and not just like give him um, uh, free reign in Middle Earth.
1: My vote would it's be Oromë. Someone. My my vote, vote would be Oromë. orme has always been the take the fight to the enemy in Middle Earth guy, right from from season not one. Fulkers. Well, Tolkas too, but Oromei, has is. I mean, he, he's the hunter, right? I mean, he's that's why that's how he finds the elves right. in the first place, right? So he's the one. Right. So he's certainly in uh, in support of the general. Let's go over to Middle Earth and take the fight to the enemy there. Camp like that's what he does, right? So he would certainly be sympathetic with Feanor saying, "Let's not stay here and mourn. Let's go over. Let's go pursue him and 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 you know and fight him and and regain what we have lost." i would think that that concept would certainly resonate with Orome more than it would with many of the other valar um and then you add in the fact that he was a friend of Fanor and his sons um you know of of the other valar we you know apart from Aulë this he's one of the ones that we have shown the clearest relationship with so um right. so i i could see you know again not defending it not saying that like what they did was okay but um um being not being opposed to the departure of the even even though he would you know doubtless um, not approve of the you know the open flouting of the Valar and, and the the you know the bad um, the bad things that Fanor is saying about the Valar you know, the accusations he's leveling about the Valar he wouldn't uh, right. he wouldn't be cool with that but right. I think I think he would be sympath- more much more sympathetic to the whole project. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and I'm
0: kind of wondering: is there is there any among the Valar again? Is there any attitude of either sort of um, you know sort of an acknowledgement that this is proceeding according to a greater plan, right? Um, that you know it's it's tragic and we can mourn it along the way, but you know let's face it: this is where we we were pointed all along, or or maybe even a uh, an acknowledgement of 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 their own responsibility for events that like look guys this is really bad Fanor's mm-hmm. doing bad stuff but ultimately this is Melkor's fault
1: right right
0: um, and Mal- Melkor is our responsibility and we sh- we should have handled him um, a long time ago yes and now we should handle him and at least if we're not going to if we're if we're going to leave Middle Earth and to its own devices and the Noldor are heading over there you know um, we should. We should, like, at least at least someone's going to oppose him. So we we should we should let them go on their way. Yeah, they did bad stuff, but we shouldn't hinder them or interfere with them in any way because because they're doing our job for us.
1: Right, right, right. Yeah, exactly. No, I think having some of those some of those kinds of thoughts come out uh, to to sort of show the variety of opinion to kind of put that out there. Right. I mean, because we do want to plant the seeds for our viewers, right? Um, yeah. to, you know, to put out there that possibility, like, are are the Valar... To what extent are the Valar wrong? To what extent are the Valar culpable? Um, those are questions I want them to be asking. I mean, I think that those are important questions. So, you know, having that issue at least raised uh, at the Council seems to me like a, a pretty good idea. Um, yeah. Yeah. Hakan says they could even go as, as far as having somebody say "I told you so" to Manway about the release of Melkor. Um, yeah, p- possibly so, right? Yeah. Legend. How well did that work out last time? You know, Manway. But yeah, I I don't know if we want it necessarily to get as chippy as that. But um, uh, but yeah, again, those those are the questions, right? That I think are really important. Um, but um, okay. Uh, We should move on. Where do we want to place this? Thinking about the storm of Uuenin, so Uuenin goes out later on, and we have the you know the storm in which uh, uh, the the many of the ships are sunk. Um, that's a dramatic scene which will be really impressive on screen. I don't see too much for us to discuss with it really. Um, I don't want to show the thing. The one thing that I would say about it is that I would want it to be again the emphasis in the text is that it is an expression. Of her anger, yes, but of her grief, more, more even than of her anger. Um, and uh, Aase's impulse would be to go and like beat the crap out of the Noldor, right? Uinen's is to weep over the Teleri, but her weeping is wild, as wild as the, you know, the anger of of uh, of, of Um When do we do this? Ooh, hang on, wait. Wait, Hakan has an important question, Dave. I can't believe we didn't think of this already. Is Huan at Alquilonde? And if so, what does he do? We forgot our Huan cameo. Oh. Oh, man. Remember, Huan's reaction to things that happen on screen is always a direct cue to the viewer as to how they should respond, right? Huan is always right. Huan is that—that's like the rule, right? Huan is always right in his response. So, yes. uh, and so, yeah, so uh, he's got to be there. And Marie, I agree logically; he's got to be on the ships. Um, golly, that's tough though, because we can't have him turning on Keligorm yet, right? He still has yeah. to be a faithful, uh, uh, you know, servant of. Kellagorm for a long time to come but it's hard to imagine Huon I'm being okay with it's it's hard knowing who he is uh who Kellagorm is it's hard to imagine Keligorm not uh, uh enthusiastically joining in with his father i mean Kellagorm's Kelegorm, got to kill some folks right multiple folks you'd think um and it's hard to I'm imagine Huon I'm being okay with it
0: How about Juan surreptitiously saving people?
1: Sorry. Well, I was thinking of that, but... uh, But He's in
0: the background, and we just see him grab some Tulare children who are about to be uh, viciously killed by some Noldor thugs, and he grabs them and carries them away to safety.
1: We could even have him, like, sort of acting ambivalently, right? Like, uh, you know... uh, the Noldor are fighting the unarmed Teleri on board the ships, and they're drawing their swords. We can have Huon attack the Teleri, but well, he just knocks them off the boat, right, uh, to prevent them being killed, basically at the at the swords of the uh, of the of the Noldor. But see, again, the problem is if we have him if we have Huon acting in clear opposition to Kelegorm, we can set up the fact that maybe the two of them are not always going to see eye to eye. Right. I mean, I think this is actually a really good moment for us to foreshadow the fact that the day is going to come when the two of them are going to go their separate ways. Right. When, um, maybe what needs to happen is that there is a problem with like Huon is not on board with, uh, so to speak with what Kelegorm is doing. Um, but, um, but they reconcile afterwards right you know maybe we can show an actual reconciliation i don't know how we do uh you know a uh a a reconciliation and and uh you know like how we show gorman who on apologizing and making up when uh uh when one of them is totally nonverbal um but uh yeah yeah um One way that we could, oh gosh. See, but obviously the easiest thing to do is just to avoid it entirely and leave it out, but that's cowardly. We need to deal with this.
0: (laughs) I don't know. Discretion may be the better part of valor here. Well, at what point, hey, so here's a question. Um, which pops, possibly we've covered in the past, and I've forgotten. When, when, when is Huan given to Caligorm?
1: We did do that earlier. I think when we had them, because we did a hunting scene with um, yeah. Oromei and the Sons of Fëanor, mostly to introduce <laughs> Huan and 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 uh, 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 give him over there. Um,
0: can we uh, can we retcon it now? Well, you, oh, yeah, I mean, a, our,
1: our, our, our plot way. outline folks love it when we change season two retroactively.
0: Well, here's a here's a thought, uh, um, a way to, to, to dodge this. Suppose we retcon this so that um, um, Huan hasn't been given to Kelegorn yet, so there's no question of Huan being involved. Huan's, Huan's with the Valar, let's say, still. Um and then maybe what happens is Oromë sends Huon with Celegorm to keep an eye on the Sons of Fainor This is this is part of the Oromë like you know right the Oromë well, being
1: kind of pro Noldor yeah yeah
0: yeah 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 sort of a I'm not real I don't approve what's going on and stuff but they're heading to Middle Earth and they're going to oppose Melkor who is who ultimately is the real bad guy yeah you know maybe I can kind of steer things in the right direction. Um, and also, you know, also some amount of like, you know, this is your destiny anyway, you're supposed to go there. So, so what if we, if we retconned it and, and this is where, this is where Huan is given to Kelegorm. Yeah. Maybe we could even have a Kelegorm, um, um, or a conversation as, Right before he boards the boat, or something. Although it could look weird if, if Oremae shows up at the bloodbath and doesn't do anything.
1: <laughs> right.
0: This is, this is one way to. This is a, one way to resolve this problem of why. Why? What's Juan doing now? If he. If he isn't involved.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Getting a lot of opposition to this suggestion here, Dave. Um, and I. Why. Well, okay people have
0: a more constructive solution for why (laughs) Huan is uh, standing there watching his buddies uh, murder people?
1: Not yet. Not yet. But Coretta makes an excellent point, and that is we don't want to undermine the significance of the moment when Huan turns against Celegorm to defend Luthien. Um, The fact that that is the breaking of a mutual bond, right? That they were... The two of them were a team, and in this moment um the y you know, that Huon is finally pushed to rejection of Caligorm and to opposing of him has to be a huge, huge deal um okay so so what you're
0: what you're saying is the only way to manage that is if he's complicit in kinslaying.
1: <laughs> sorry okay, that, oh, I'm just. I'm just There's laughing, like
0: more, more powerful by <laughs> making him tolerate kinslaying at this moment,
1: right? No, it's just that Kel, it's just that Huon has a three-strike policy, right? So the kinslaying is strike one. Um, you know, the sort of like the imprisonment of Luthien uh, uh, is is strike two, uh, and then like his attack on Luthien is strike three. Um, I'm kidding about that, but so I was just laughing at, at Sarah Grant's comment, <laughs> her, her her paraphrase of. <laughs> Of 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 your suggestion, Orime wades through the carnage to hand Caligorm a puppy. <laughs> just a great image. I just love that image. Um, uh, okay, I think we have to do it now. <laughs> but okay, but hang on. So, Dave, here's my number one reason for not wanting to change the season two stuff. My number one reason is, if we did that, we would lose all of those adorable scenes with like Huan looking miserable while things are falling apart at the end of season two, Um, and uh, I'm you know I I I'm kind of attached uh, to the role that we gave Huan at the end of season two, so I'm I'm for for that reason alone I'm reluctant. Um, I do agree with Karita that I, I I would like to foreground at the beginning. We we're gonna make that moment in season five, um, the Baron and Luthian season, uh, most poignant if we really show the unequivocal bond between Kelligorm and Huan. Um Yeah. <laughs> Karita also points out. She says, uh, "Your suggestion basically makes Huon a spy, which is much more of a cat thing than a dog thing." Anyhow, um, fair enough. Which is, enough. is that, that's also kind of true. Um, yeah, I
0: sort of agree it won't work, but what I don't, what I do see is, um, unless we take the cowardly way out and we just like, yeah. omit Skip it from this scene, I don't see any way around Huon being being complicit in the kinslight. I don't see any way, like, like I'm, I'm sure people, I'm sure we can come up with a way to tap dance out of it, um, but there's no way around the fact that he's either going to be involved, actively supporting it, or at a minimum, he's going to be standing by doing nothing, which, um, which, which undermines the Huan's always right, yeah. thing. Yeah, I mean the only, the only possible ex- explanation can be some kind of metaphysical overarching like now is not my time type thing. <laughs> right, 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 right. No, there's no elegant way to portray that on screen other than some really clunky, in the middle of an action scene, some clunky exposition <laughs> right, that, right, that our viewers aren't going to understand. You know, that, that will only make sense in retrospect after we see what goes on with them later. Or if we somehow introduce the prophecy, or I, I don't know. Yeah, um, yeah. The, the, I mean, I think it. I think within the context of like the book, like let's say Tolkien added a, had added a scene um, of who on here, like it could be explained away because because the 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 narrator and and in, in the in the published Silmarillion kind of has that ability to kind of foreshadow and you know reference things that are going to happen, reference things that have happened, you know, do that kind of exposition, like you know who you know have some line about on mourned what was happening and yeah. but, but knew that his time had not come to yeah. to blah, 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 whatever but man there just is no good way to do that on screen no it's there not isn't going to be really clunky.
1: I, I agree that would be really clunky because I mean the, the the problem right is doing this with a completely nonverbal character uh, um, okay all right so I say um, bubble huh? Thought bubble, yeah, exactly. Now that's an elegant way to do it, right? Uh, if that doesn't say elegant, what does?
0: Uh, do the sound effect as it pops up.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I vote cowardice. Uh, okay, no, I think I think we make him limitedly complicit. I, I'm I'm okay with it. I, I think we make him be loyal to. All we need, right we need him we need two things: we need him to be loyal to Kelorm, but we also need him to not be all in on the slaying right he has to be he has to be loyal to Kelligorm, but troubled by what's happening so I say we could and we could accomplish this I think by showing him um Defending Caligorm, right? Non lethally, right? Again, he is he is he is defending Caligorm by like knocking Tileri off the boat, um, uh, you know, not by savaging them. There's no blood on on Huan's jaws, right? During this whole fight. Um, no, I,
0: I like this idea, and and um, and and what if um, what if in addition to what if he's not just knocking Teleri off the boat? What if he's knocking Noldor off the boat? What if basically uh, every Huon intervention is designed for, to prevent some to form to prevent of, some form yeah.
1: of, um, okay, the, of uh, the problem mortal, mortal wound or slam right the problem the problem that I have is that he he would he would have to like knock Caligorm off the boat then what if he does knock Caligorm off the boat yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, you know.
0: What if he, What if his main <laughs> intervention is to remove Kelloggorm from the fray?
1: Right. Exactly. Like let's let's save you from yourself here, um, I You know, I'm not sure. Uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I hate that idea. Actually, one yeah, other what
0: thing. If gets cornered. And yeah. Juan jumps in, knocks some Tulari off the boat, and then carries Kelligorm away. But we or, can't or, prevent or, or we can't he, prevent he carries Kelligorm onto a boat that's already sailing, that right. is is free.
1: Right. And <laughs> just tulare free. Well, all of them are gonna are gonna have Tulare coming up to them though, so I don't think that there's any non combat boats, but
0: well, what if there's like a lead ship that is already, you know, like a there's a couple ships that are well, that are already well on their way out into the ocean?
1: Uh no, because they've got to pass under the gate still and stuff. Um, no, because Kelgorm's got to be red-handed, though. I mean, Kelgorm needs to kill folks. Like that's that that that's got to happen. I mean, we have to we have to show Kelgorm's willingness um, to get violent and kill people because he's one of that's one of the roles he plays as one of the sons of Feanor. Um Right, but what
0: if we show him? What if we sort of what the angle I'm trying to take is like. What if he is on the front lines, like, he's, he's still on the beach. He's not on a ship sailing. He's, he's, like, he's in the thick of things where he can kill the most Teleri. And then at one point, he kind of gets himself into trouble. Um, and he's planning maybe a blaze of glory, to go down in a blaze of glory, killing as many people as he can. Huon jumps in, growls, knocks a bunch of Tulare over, grabs Kelegorm, and dives into the water and starts swimming after the boats. And Sort of gets him out of the fray where maybe he's not completely safe, but at least he can't kill anyone else.
1: Well, logistically, though, the sons of Fanor aren't fighting on the beach, they're all fighting on the boats. Maybe some of them on the quay, but I, I, most of them on the boats, I think. Sure. Um, but and and Fanor and, all all and all his all sons all in, all in particular would be, yeah, um. I guess he could just clear
0: the boat. So, like, let's say Kelogorms, there's Teleri on the boat and Kelogorms killing, killing them all. And then uh, Huan jumps in and knocks all the Tulare into the water and clears the boat. It's like, okay, well, problem solved. You can't right. kill anyone right.
1: are yeah,
0: you're, And you're no longer in danger, apart from the guys right. on the gates.
1: Right. And, uh, you know, so that we can show... Oh, by the way, I, we need to have, at least once, we need to have Huan leap up and catch an arrow in his jaws. Uh, when somebody shoots at Kellogar, because we got to set that up, right? He does that for for Luthien later on, so we have to show we have to show uh, Huan's arrow intercepting ability because uh, we get the opportunity to do that here, right? Anyway, okay, okay. Um, I like the idea of him intervening, like basically he he inter- so having him clear the the ship, so that Kellogorm is standing there, like you know, with a blood-soaked sword, um, looking around for more Tillary to kill, but there aren't any more, and he has so he basically feels like the conqueror, right, who uh, who has captured his ship, um, <clears throat> when actually, of course, it's Huan who who did who who chiefly did so and did so by non-lethally. Uh, getting rid of all the tillary off the boat. Um, I would like, um, I would like to um, have. Th- somebody mentioned this earlier on, and I really like the the, the concept. At a key moment in the, um, in the in in the scene, we should have Huan just howling, just howling in misery at what's happening. In fact, I think the moment that we can have Huan howling. <clears throat> is maybe the moment when Fingolfin and Fanor exchange that look we were talking about right Feanor down on the ship standing over the corpse of Olwë and Fingolfin looking down you know himself uh, uh covered with the blood of the Teleri up on the bridge and the two of them exchange this glance as Fanor sails under and we cut to Huon and have Huon um throw back his head and 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 how as Tony says at the death of way itself um uh possibly yeah yeah um so that basically this sort of mournful howl of Huan, which rises up above the conflict, could become a kind of, you know, sort of symbol of the, uh, the sort of the sorrow uh, in that moment, sort of the, the transition to weeping uh, right at the end of the fight. Um, Huan can be disturbed at what has happened. We can see him kind of out of sync with Kelligorm, but it wouldn't necessarily have to, you know, so he, he can be troubled, by what he has seen gorm do, but in that moment he's been focused primarily on defending Kelegorm, Uh So I don't think it needs to come to a crisis there. See, this is way better than cowardice. You know, we can t- we can we can have a we can also it gives us some other uh, a, a really logical other focus of action. Um, before, we just kind of had the two, right? We had Feanor's ship with Feanor and Olway, and we had the bridge uh, with Fingolfin, and then briefly, F- F- Finarfin running down and uh, uh, exclaiming in horror and chucking away his sword. Um, by having another um, uh, another ship fight that we can focus on um, with Huan and Kelegorm, um that gives us a good opportunity to, to you know, kind of well, spread things out a little.
0: An additional...
1: Additional Huan action scenes um never go wrong. Additional Huan scenes are always good. I mean I, I this I think that, that which is my primary reason not to want to take the cowardly option, because more yeah. Huan has to be good. Um yeah. Phil asks the question, would each son of Fanor be on a separate ship? I'm i I'm thinking yes. I mean maybe the twins go on one ship. Um um but uh Oh wait, hang on. Were we gonna kill off the twins? Are we going to kill off any fanorians? I'm forgetting. We had talked about this before, didn't we? Um. I don't remember. Are we going to well? We we are we going to kill off Irime, right? Uh, uh, Fingolfin's sister. Oh, in the yeah. in the burning. Wait, or not here? Okay, okay, right. Um, okay, yeah. So so no. So we're, we're not going to kill any of the fanorians yet. Right. Got it. Okay. Okay. Couldn't remember how we were planning to do that. Um, Okay. So, so now an hour and a half (laughs) into our podcast about um, Valerian. Exactly. Um, Exactly. Uh, You want to make a virtue out of necessity? (laughs) And, and uh, cause you know, like, first of all, let me just say, I'm not sorry. I don't repent. Of spending extra time talking about the kinslaying because this is the kinslaying for crying out loud. Let's get this right. Um, so, w- you want to just postpone that, and we'll we'll talk about episode three next time. Spend a whole episode on it rather than trying to squeeze it into, you know, half an hour or less yes. at the end here. Um,
0: yep. <laughs> Let's just double down.
1: Let's double down. <clears throat> yeah, because we we've, we've kind of done that anyway.
0: Private day. Um, we're kicking off the the, the Kignum, kicking off the Signum University fall fundraising event with a bonus Hobbit Day Silmarillion film podcast that was totally unexpected, <laughs> in which we do an in depth discussion about the kinslaying. That's right. specifically Huan's role.
1: That's right. So bonus kinslaying is a special treat. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. Yeah. 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 Um, uh, okay. So you so. Karita wants to talk about Uinen more. Um, do you want to? I mean, I did. Well, in give,
0: light of our in light of our decision, why not?
1: Okay. All right. Yeah, I agree. Why not? Let's do that. So
0: let's just go down the list of Valar and do a detailed analysis of each of their reactions. <laughs> well,
1: no, no, we already talked about that. But let's okay, Uinen and the storm. We can work that out in a little bit more detail. Um, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a, this is a good idea. Yeah, I, don't, I would like to. I would like to figure out where this is going to belong to what episode and that sort of
1: thing. Right. Actually, wait. Before we go back to UN, since we're focused on the uh, elf on elf action there in the kinslaying, one other question that we need to um, um, one other question that we need to consider. Where's always daughter? Hmm. How are we going to show her? Um. So, Always daughter is the wife of Finarfin, mother of uh, um, mother of of these kids, right? Mother of Goadriel and Finrod, and uh, and uh, and the rest of them. Uh, I ignore who will be one of our heroes in season three. Um, She's really important. She's going to be central. She's going to be a central figure, not a player, but a central figure in the single Galadriel, Finrod stuff that we had talked about before, right? Um, That is the fact that the you know the, the, the 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 people of Finarfin are related to the Teleri. Um, and therefore also the kinspeople of Thingol. So, I mean, the fact that she is their mom is a really big deal, right. For the political situation of season four. Um, so I think we need to really emphasize her and her significance there as she is one of the ones who is most plainly sort of torn between the two. Right. Um, she, you know, having very close ties, uh, to both the Teleri and to the Noldor here. Um, uh, yeah, Phil, this is uh, Arwen that we're talking about. Exactly. Um, I think she's got to be with Finarfin. If she's in the host, is she in the city? That's my question. So first question, is she in the city with her dad? I mean, I, presumably, you know, she lives with her husband. Uh, uh, but we could put her on the other side, right? That is just physically. She could have been with her dad. Um, as the Noldor are advancing, right? She could have gone on ahead to, to speak with her father um, easily. She could hear Feanor's speeches and and hear of the plans to go get the ships and, and you know, go sort of to warn her dad and discuss it with him in advance. So, I mean, she could be physically in the city when Feanor and the rest of them attack. Um, or even at the time of the parley, she didn't have to go on ahead. Um, at the time of the parley, she could stay behind to speak with her father, and therefore still be with her dad when Feanor marches down and starts possessing the ships. Um, so do we want her coming in with Fenarfin at the end, or do we want her being in the city the whole time and therefore at risk, probably not dying, but at risk um, during the whole, you know, possibly in the midst of the combat. Um,
0: that would certainly, that would certainly, um, up the stakes for Phenarfin.
1: Right. Ooh, and as Margaret uh, points out...
0: It would be go- really odd if he tossed his sword away while his wife was still in danger. <laughs>
1: yeah, good point. Good point. Margaret, uh, Joyce makes an excellent point as well. Um, th- that's got to be significant for Goadriel as well, thinking back to where we started this conversation. goadriel would be seeing her mom, right, um, uh, there. So... Um, So first, I like her being in the city um, because if she's with Finarfin, she's just a sidekick. right? The focal, She's not going to be a focal point in the same way that she could be easily be made a focal point if she's there in the city. Um, having her be there and be a proximate eyewitness to her father's being killed by her half-brother-in-law, as Phil Boswell just paraphrased it, and have her be seen by Galadriel. And, I mean, yeah, I mean, there's, there's too much potential for uh, emotional drama there, I think, to leave her out of the city entirely. Again, especially since she becomes merely an extension of Finarfin uh, at that point. Uh, emphasizing her role, there is a sense, of course, in which... Figuratively speaking, at least, A. Arwen is in the middle of the kinslaying, right? I mean, she is she is a central figure in a way that Fenarfin himself is not even a central figure, right? Um, but as as you know, the Teleri who uh, is married to a you know to one of the princes of the Noldor, she's sort of at issue in a sense, right? Um. So, so yeah, so I I think she really should be in the city. Where Where do we have her? Um, options. On a boat, right? Is she on a boat and fighting with the with one of the Feanorians, right? Um, do we have her with Olwe, right? Is she with Olwe pursuing Feanor and actually standing on the same ship with Feanor when Feanor kills Olwe? That's another possibility. Is she on the bridge with the archers looking down, presumably not shooting a bow herself? Or does she?
0: I think I like the idea of her being So are we gonna have are we gonna have her forewarn Olwey about the the Noldor's plans?
1: I'm I'm not not sure two minds about it. I am
0: I'm kinda the direction I'm heading in is like kinda like the idea of of her trying to lead some form of nonviolent resistance. Um. like refusing to give over the boat and refusing to leave the boat, but not fighting back. Right. And sort of taking advantage of the fact that, that, you know, and I don't know, maybe, maybe maybe it's, it's a question whether this is consistent with Feanor's character, but taking advantage of the fact that, that, that most of the Noldor probably are smart enough not to harm her. Right. Because they know that that would piss off. (laughs) That's, that's not,
1: Yeah. That's not a good look. Uh, not that any of it is, but yeah, yeah, exactly. That would clearly be a, a, a serious... So, I mean, it really does point... It really would exacerbate the complicated loyalties and morality of the situation, yeah. right? Um, I'm not sure I like the idea... I mean, I want her to be there, but the more I think about it, the less I like the idea of her running on ahead to warn her father, mostly because... If she looks like a snitch, it could make her look sneaky and unattractive, you know. Um, mm-hmm. I don't. I don't know that. Especially since this is likely to be pretty close to our first impression of her, right? Um, and if the first role that she plays in the whole in the larger kin scenario is as like a tattletale, that's that's that, that's not a particularly good look for her either, right? Um, Uh,
0: no, yeah.
1: Oh, now, someone was asking before. Uh, Phil was that Phil Boswell was asking if she's on a boat, if she's on the boat with Olway, how would she survive? I have an answer to that. Phil, uh, she casts herself into the sea in a move which is visibly, visually foreshadowing Elwin casting herself into the sea. At the at the kinslaying at the at the Bay, at I the bay you
0: were of Galah, who on throw her into the sea?
1: <laughs> I don't think I didn't toy with the idea, but no. See, like the the parallel with Elwing, I really like right because Elwing, yeah. oh, same circumstances, right? Kinslaying and Elwing, Elwing casts herself into the sea. Um, so I like that concept, right? Of L- of uh, of uh, Elwing casting herself into the sea, but um, I mean, it's not like she's not gonna she's not gonna turn into a seagull or anything. Um, but, uh, but again just like to to visually have that parallel, I think is kind of cool. Um, so that's how I'd save her from getting killed on the boat. Um, Marie does point out very appropriately that having her join her father against her husband is problematic. If she is, like setting off in a boat with way to go, but again, remember olway it's not like always is attacking right he's not pursuing fanor's boat in order to assault him. he's pursuing fanor's boat boat in order to um exhort him right to stop what he's doing and to 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 ask him to so it's not like an act of aggression on her part, like I'm going to attack my husband's half brother you know um. And yeah, Hawkin. Exactly. She'd try to talk some sense into Feanor. Okay, so I I like that. I think that that could work. But here's the other thing I kind of like. I kind of like having her on the bridge, because if she's on the bridge, then she is in the way when, like, when Fingolfin's people, including her daughter Galadriel, attack, right? And she could still cast herself off the bridge into the sea. And so we could still get the whole casting into the sea. And indeed, throwing herself into the sea from the bridge would be more visually dramatic, right? Um, It would be more visually striking to see her falling from a height and disappearing into the sea. Um, Hmm. I like that. I like that. Um... Uh, yeah, Phil, I, I would assume she would be a good swimmer. I mean the, the downside of this is that it would be kind of anticlimactic in a sense, right? If uh it, it would look like she was dying, probably. Um and so later on having her be like I'm okay right or like have her pop up again. We could have her reunited with Finarfin in a, in a, a moment of, um, relief, right? So, so we have Fenarfin running down, th- uh, 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 to the shore and searching for his wife and we could have her, um, you know, sort of coming up onto the shore and reunited with him. Um, the waterlogged Arwen is dragged into a rescue boat, uh, says Marie. When I'm thinking of her, her, you know, emerging herself on the shore and, uh, and, w- you know, having a, uh, you know, a a damp hug with Phenarfin, essentially. Um, (laughs) Corita points out that that's a little bit Disney Pocahontas. Uh, I I, I hear you. I hear you. Phil does point out that this would would pull Phenarfin out of the fray and prevent the question of is he going to use his sword to defend his wife's kin or not. If he's distracted by finding his wife and being concerned for her well-being. She could be uh, alive, but not completely well, right, after falling from the bridge and swimming to the shore. Um, And I don't think the bridge needs to be so high that the fall couldn't be survivable, uh, Zachary. Especially, I mean, remember, elves, right? Uh, These are Caliquenti we're talking about. They can jump off a bridge and survive the fall. Um, But... uh, Yeah... I like this. So, but how would this go back now? Th- this has to inform our Goadriel discussion though, right? We talked about Goadriel before and her choices if A. Arwen's going to be on if her mom's on the bridge. Uh we've got to bring that in, right? Could how can we make that fit with the uh guilty uh, guilt on her head, but, uh, but no blood on her hands policy that we were going to try to pursue with Goadriel early on. See, it's hard. The more, when I think about this, there's a lot of emotional, there's a lot of like raw emotional power to Goadriel coming in and, and, and seeing her mom on the other side seeing her mom on the on the on the among the ranks of the people that they're charging but i can't reconcile it with goadriel's guilt i mean how would that not result in goadriel trying to stop just stop people from attacking yeah yeah but we're in Karita. We're totally going to get to Uenun. Um We're, we're going to segue to Uenun right from this. I just want to come back to goadriel because I've got to. I've got i got to sort out the Galadriel and her mom issue. Uh, but as soon as we do that, we're coming back to and Karita. I promise. Um. Okay. Okay. It's almost impossible for me to reconcile maybe Goadriel doesn't see her until she throws herself off the bridge. Maybe that's when Galadriel sees her. Um, maybe that's the thing that really strikes, um, Galadriel's own sense of her guilt home, right? When she sees her mother, like climb up onto the parapet and leap, you know, throw herself off into the sea. Um, Tony Mead is still suggesting that Galadriel's role should be like Frodo's in the Battle of uh, of Bywater, you know, sort of stepping aside and making sure uh, that as few people get killed on either side as possible. But but she's got she's to be guilty. She, again, not blood guilty, as we talked about. You know, she doesn't have to have killed any Toleri uh, herself. She doesn't necessarily have to have killed anybody. Uh, in fact, I'd quite rather it if she didn't, I think. Again, thinking of those conversations with Melian. Um, Galadriel's Thinking about the conversations we had through season two about those, like, the point of fall, right? You know, somebody inclining in one way, inclining in one way, and then they 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 cross a line, right? Um, just as we see in the Fellowship of the Ring, right? With Boromir leaning and leaning and leaning, and he crosses the line when he tries to take the ring from Frodo. And is almost immediately redeemed, right? Um, but... Uh, um, for Galadriel, that point, that turning point, isn't yet. That turning point for me, as I said earlier, is when she chooses not to leave at the end of the First Age, right? So, we're still way early on in her process. And if she actually is standing there with a bloody sword, whoever's blood is on it, whether the blood on it is Noldor or Teleri, um, it makes her too guilty. It makes her too fallen already, and I don't really want Galadriel to be either. Fallen to that extent or fallen in that way yet. So I, I I want her to be not innocent of blood, but Tony, she's got to be guilty of something though. Um, she's got to be there. I I think there needs to be culpability, and uh, again, especially since, as I said, um, uh, the her dealing with her guilt from this should be part of what leads her to the important decision, you know, to the, to the decision, to, to her fall later on. Um, Halstein says we could let Galadriel think that she, uh, that she pushed Arwen off the bridge. Uh, That would be interesting. Um, Like, mom! Uh, Um, yeah, maybe, I don't know how that would work, though. but I like the idea of her not seeing a Arwen until the last minute. And when she sees her mother falling from the bridge, that's the moment of like the true, like that's when conscience smites. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, ooh, Zachary. I like that. Zachary Coman was just saying, what if seeing Galadriel among the attackers is what causes Arwen to jump off the bridge? I like that. I like that. Um, so we make that. We make that. Um, so Galadriel doesn't see her. Um, Galadriel doesn't see her. Uh, Arwen sees her first. And Arwen throws herself off the bridge, and that's when Goadriel sees her and is like, and, and freezes in her tracks, right? Um, maybe she was actually charging and might have killed somebody had that not happened.
0: That's pretty good.
1: Yeah. Okay. Um, I like it. Um, so, Karina, great question. Um, Karita asks the very sensible question. Why is why is Arwen jumping exactly again? Uh Karita, she's jumping in order to establish a parallel with Elwing, obviously. That's what motivates her. Um, just kidding. Um <laughs> no my thought of ARWEN's um uh of ARWen's uh, um uh mentality there, you know, her her thought process. Um she's escaping like she wants out of the situation. Like she, she does not want either to, uh, to, she's not going to help her husband's people. She can't fight for her own people against her husband's people. Like basically her choice to simply like escape. There's there is definitely, it's, it's not a, it's not a suicide attempt exactly, but there's definitely despair involved there. Like all she can do is like, she is in this completely impossible situation and she, um, uh, and uh, all she can do, like her only option is to just like escape from it essentially. Um, and so she throws herself off the bridge into the water and there should be, um, there should be uncertainty, you know, has she died? And it, it, did she, was she trying to kill herself? Um, yeah yeah um, yeah Marie th- there's it's like there there's an element of despair in it, but as you say, there's also an element of jumping out of a burning building too yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, uh, yeah um, okay, um, so maybe Galadriel's guiltiness. Is she doesn't kill anybody, but she was planning to. Maybe she decides that she she does charge. Iremae dies, right? Her aunt is killed right near her, um, and she charges with like murderous intent. And then she sees her mother, ju- and then her mother sees her charging and jumps. And she sees her mother jump and freezes, right? So she never commits the guilty act. She never does shed blood. But she knows; she intended to. Maybe that would work. Um, okay, let's talk about um, let's talk about uh, uh, uh before Karita hunts me down. Um, so, how do we want to handle Uenin's grief?
0: Is she, is she just grieving and raging, or is she explicitly attacking the Noldor?
1: <clears throat> well, I mean, two options, right? One is, as Karita was just suggesting, raw grief which manifests itself as the storm, right? But at the same time, I mean, <laughs> she's got to be mad, right? Uh, she's got to be mad. We've got to know she's mad. So I like... Her grief happens to manifest itself in a storm and it's like, oops, oh, golly, look at that. Accidentally killed a bunch of the jerks who just killed my friends. Like, it's, it's kind of hard to buy, you know? Um, uh, so how do we... Um, as uh, Milthalia is saying, it can be raw grief but yet she doesn't feel sorry that the ship's crashed, right? Um, so, I mean, it's... I, but at the same time, I don't want it to just be like Uinen goes to war. You know, like Uinen vengefully smites the Noldor. Um, even if only because... I mean, we can't have her just completely defying uh Manwe either. You know, Manwe says, well, okay, no, I, you know, n- nobody can intervene, and... If we, it's hard to handle in merely saying, you know, forget that, and like, she's going to do it anyway, right? I, I mean, I, I don't want her to be that um, uh, openly rebellious, because there'd be consequences to that, that I don't think we want to deal with. Um, Hakan has the interesting suggestion. Um, what if Ase uh, holds her back? That would be kind of interesting, right? Um uh, given asse's history it sure would and would show of course her influence over him or that is the influence that she has had on him the way in which he has sort of changed and 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 uh, and grown um. okay but if she doesn't intend to attack the noldor if, again, she's just, like, the strength of her grief and anger manifests itself, you know, so, like, she really wants to go after the Noldor, and I'll say restraints her, I really kind of, I like that idea, Hakon, um, and she, but she's upset, right, so, I mean, she's weeping, and she's, uh, and we see her tears, and, like, the emotional turmoil of, uh, Unin's response to the kinslaying, um, which is important. It's important for us to show somebody reacting, you know, with stormy emotion to this because it's a stormy emotion kind of thing. Um, anyway, so, um, if this, if she's not attacking the Noldor, but again, her raw emotion manifests itself in the storm, and, you know, as Carita says, she's guilty of manslaughter, not murder, elf slaughter, not murder. Um, I can see that, but again, my problem is, um, my problem is, don't we have to handle the reaction to that? I mean, she's going to perceive the fact that many of the Noldor were killed as a result of her grief. How do we handle that? Like it's, it's hard to make a knowing that it's, we can't, how can we convincingly make this look like an accident when what happens would seem to be so manifestly what she obviously wanted to happen. Right. Um, So, you know, I don't know. I don't know. Um, That's why I think there has to be an element of intent from the beginning. maybe she she goes out from the council she is we can see her sort of looking out on or down on um where would she be standing Maybe she's standing on the bridge, where the archers were, and she's after the fight. So the Noldor are gone. Um, Fingolfin and Finarfin have marched away. Um, the Feanorians have sailed away. Every the ships have all left the harbor. Um, she's standing on the bridge, and she's standing on the bridge like with her feet like in the blood of the Teleri who were killed on top of the bridge, right? Um, and she's looking down on the... Fe- I'm, I'm thinking of the bridge because I want her looking down on the ships that the Feanorians are sailing, right? Um, it's the vantage point that I'm thinking of, and I don't want her just, like, hovering in the sky, because she's not a sky person. She's a sea person. But if she's in the sea, we can have her looking up at them, but the vantage point is hard to do. Again, I'm kind of picturing her looking down, and I kind of like the idea of her being surrounded, like, actually, like, I mean, it would be kind of disturbing, right, to show her standing there barefoot in like a pool of the blood of the Teleri, right, to actually show the blood of the Teleri on her feet as she's standing there weeping over the... T- so she's looking down and she's looking down and we'd, her looking down would give us an opportunity to show the grief of the Teleri, right, to show Teleri mourning for their kin um, who have been killed. Um, and she looks out at... Uh, um, at the ships, and at Feanor, maybe we give a little, um, you know, close-up shot of Feanor looking smug and self-satisfied. Maybe we don't. And she gets angry, right? She gets, she's, so she's mourning, she's weeping the whole time that she's there. Then she looks down, and she sees the ships of the Feanor, and she's angry, and she, and she cries out and responds in anger, and the storm picks up, right? Then she could be, excuse me, she, she could be restrained, right? Then Ase comes and stops her. And so the intervention of so she's not openly rebelling. She's not like forget what Manway says. I'm going to attack them anyway. She's not intending to. She's she's overcome right. Um, and her grief and raw emotion manifests itself in the storm, and the storm wipes the uh, the. Smirk off of Fanor's face, right? Um, and we see many of the ships wrecked, and then Ase comes and lays that ironically sort of calming hand on Uinen, right? And recalls her to herself, and she stops. So, um, uh, I think that um, uh, I think that she that would work. Was sh- then we would see her choosing to restrain herself, choosing to obey, right? Choosing to pull back from rebellion, um, which prevents the problem of just her being flat out in open defiance, which I'm, I'm not super comfortable with. Karita um, <laughs> wants to compromise. Karita wanted her in the water at first. Okay, Karita's compromise solution is She's on the bridge at first, but the storm should start when she's touching the water. Um. What about her hair? We do something with her hair? Remember, Winning's hair is a thing, right? It's enormously long. It's, it's, it goes through the, through the sea, right? It would look really dumb, though, if she's standing up on the bridge and her hair is still stretching down into the water. Uh, that would look Odd. Uh, it's true I mean Marie yeah that's exactly what I was thinking uh theoretically, it is of course perfectly in character for her hair to be extending out into the water even while she's standing up on the arch but i kind of I kind of think uh it would be uh uh it would look dumb um, we could have her descend into the water um she could dive from the bridge um of course, then we have her recapitulating the same mo- movement as uh, uh, Ar- Arwen, which I think might be too much. Um, but uh, but anyway, the idea of her descending from the bridge into the water, and when she does um, you know, the storm kicks up, or you know, like a water spout or something like that, um, I could see. I could see that. Um, I kind of like the, the, the even more sort of understated just as she's standing there weeping, she could just cry out, you know, so she's she's weeping and then she like, you know, just yells. She just screams in, in grief and in anger and when she screams, the storm comes, you know. Um, or we could do it, you know, Marielle, that image that you were just depicting of her diving into the sea and then emerging and as she emerges from the sea she s- screams her scream that starts the storm that could be really visually striking yeah well i'm open to suggestions on the on the on the particular details of how that gets kind of blocked and staged um, i think
0: we can delegate that
1: Yeah. Yeah. Now Brianna thinks that, uh, Brianna disagrees with it looking dumb and, and, uh, Brianna, I want to credit you for taking me to task on this point more than once before, uh, on Twitter. Um, uh, Brianna has, uh, urged me, uh, uh, in times past when I, when I have been too quick to dismiss, uh, some kind of effect as looking dumb on screen. Um, she has uh, urged me to, uh, give the artists a chance and see uh, what they can do with it to make it look awesome instead of, instead of dumb. So Brianna, I concede. Um, and I agree also, if we have her, if we do in some way show her hair still sort of surrounding her and extending into the water, even from a distance, um, sort of embracing the Harbor, right. It's always how I kind of pictured it. Um, then, it would enable us to get her down into the water without her simply looking like she's casting herself off in that same sort of quasi suicidal motion that we gave to AR it would, it would enable us to differentiate her getting from the bridge to the water from the way that A. Arwin got from the bridge to the water. So, okay. Okay. Brianna, I agree. I will, I will, uh, I'll give, uh, I'll give the visual artists a chance to make, uh, the extremely long hair of Uen and look cool uh, instead of dumb. Um, so, okay, good. Good. I'm willing. I'm willing. Um, okay, cool. Um, last question. And then we got to go. When do we do all this stuff at the beginning of episode three, the council of the gods, Uen and the storm. If we end episode two with, Fëanor and Fingolfin and Huan howling in misery, right? If that's the end of Episode Two, if Episode Three begins, it could it could pick up here, right? And we could have a little bit of the passing of. We could we could start with the Council of the Valar and then segue from that to Uinen. Uinen doesn't have to be at the Council, right? We can have the Council with the Valar and then just cut from there to Uinen looking down from the bridge. Um, the fact that we are there at the bridge and we can still see the ships, but they're not where they were before shows that some time has passed, but not very much so that we can have like the corpses of the Teleri would not necessarily still be on the bridge. They could be laid out, um, down on the docks and streets, uh, you know, the beaches of Alquilonde. Um, but, but again, but the blood is still there, right? And the ships are still visible out there in the sea. Um, wants it in episode two. I... I can't imagine we're gonna have the time. And anyway, I want the death of Ol- of Old to be the the you know the culmination there of episode two. Um, we could squeeze it in, but I don't know. I don't know. But Hakan, at the same time, I don't love it in episode three either. I don't love it in episode three. Because Episode 3 is mostly, is meanwhile back in Beleriand. I mean, this is like the the Of the Sindar episode, right? So, we... Yeah. um... Yeah. But if we save it, we lose the time frame. One other option, of course, would just be to push it forward. Right. To when we come back to the Noldor. But that's like three episodes from now. And we can't make no time at all pass in between there. Um, yeah. Okay. You now, Marie, I like that. And I know that that was one of the suggestions. If we have it at the beginning of episode three, we can then um, use that as a transition. We can use Kirt and the Shipwright as the transition from the Mariners over in Alqualondë, And actually yeah, that that cut, Marie seems to me like it would actually work pretty well, right? To have the, um, to have the storm, Uen and Ase and the storm, right? Um, and the wreck of the ships uh, and the grief of the Teleri. And to cut from that to Círdan the shipwright Looking out over the sea, staring off into the west, you know, with a somber and indefinable expression on his face, right? The Círdan... Maybe even getting no dialogue, but having that look on his face that says something like, you know, it is as if I heard millions of voices crying out in pain and were suddenly silenced. Like, you know, that should be the look that he has there, right? Um, Yeah. Okay. We can come back to that as we think through more. I want to make sure that we if we have it at the beginning of episode three like that, I want to make sure that we can fit or fit it organically in, um, uh, to the overall interest of episode three. Um, okay. All right.
0: Yeah. Let's, uh, let's, let's like revisit this topic next time. Yeah.
1: Next time as we transition into the (laughs) actual Balerian stuff.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Make make sure that it's a a smooth transition because yeah, because I agree, I don't really see any other, there's really no other option but to do this, but right. um, I want to make sure that it doesn't feel shoehorned into an episode that's otherwise about the the Sindar, not about the Noldor.
1: Yeah, we don't want, um, we don't want this episode to feel like two different episodes that are like randomly spliced together, you know, which, uh, which is definitely a possibility here. So, um, yeah, okay, okay. Um, okay, good. So my questions from last time still stand. I know that some people have done, and and that's just as well anyway, actually, because people only have had a week, um, uh, somewhat less than a week as as the episode didn't get posted instantly. So, um, uh, so yeah, I, I, just as well to have a little bit of extra time to build up to the, uh, to the meanwhile in Balerion stuff. Uh, so that's, so that's good. That's good. Okay, um, excellent, very good. Well, thanks everybody for joining us. I'm I am perfectly at peace with our decision to uh, make this functionally a second episode two uh, uh, thing. The fact that we had to leave episode two hanging in the middle of the way that we did last time clearly demonstrated that one episode was not enough. In which to talk about the kin slang. totally defensible. Uh, so thanks everybody for joining us. Don't forget. Um, uh, and especially for those of you who came in late. Um, don't forget our fall fundraiser, which is now going on. So please, if you enjoy our Signum programming, I urge you uh, to consider donating to support uh, our stuff and what we do and our ability to uh, continue uh, programming like this through another year and beyond. <clears throat> and uh, just to remind you briefly um, of how our special film film giveaway is going to work. We have some special prizes that we're going to give to everybody um, uh, here who gives to support us. All you have to do uh, make a donation uh, then send an email to donate at signum org um, mention film film in the subject line and you will be entered into our drawing for our special film film prizes uh, and uh, you know presents that we're going to be giving out uh, uh, as uh, gratitude for those of you who are giving to uh, uh, to support us there so Uh, Thanks, everybody, for joining us, and we'll see you back again three weeks from today on October 13th, when we will finally return to Beleriand. So, thanks for listening, and Godspeed.